Welcome to Guerrilla Discipleship. I'm your host, Kevin Baker. It's great to be with you again. I so appreciate you being a part of all that God is doing as we create a movement of disciple makers in the world. That's uh, what Guerrilla Discipleship is all about. It's helping us to remember that, that discipleship isn't done by an institution that we call the church. In fact, uh, calling the church an institution is not even biblical, right? The church is the body of Christ. It's the the bride of Christ, it's the people of Christ. We, uh, and so when we think of guerrilla discipleship, we're talking about engaging the church, the people in the actions and the obedience and the, the adventure of helping other people listen and obey Jesus so that their lives will be blessed. So anyway, thank you so much for being here. Let me ask you a question. I, I wanna ponder some philosophical things with you. Uh, over the years, I know that it's been helpful to me sometimes to think things through to their logical conclusion. So think about uh, think about this. Uh, I want to just ask a couple of logical conclusion questions. If your church were in completely successful, what, however you define success, if your church was completely successful at what its mission is, what would happen? What would that look like? I mean, think about what your church's mission, do you even know what your church's mission is? Think through that to its logical conclusion. If you're using an attractional model, what are you gonna do when your building is full? Well, you'd build more buildings, right? You'd build a bigger building. And then when that building is full, cause right, you're always gonna have this growth model and if, if we're using an attractional model, it's it's always going to mean that I've got to get bigger, I've got to get bigger, I've got to get bigger, which means I need more staff. I need. And let me ask this question. When you look at your church right now, let's say that your church increased in terms of its attendance tenfold. And you think about the system that you're using right now and what it's producing, because every every system that our, our churches have, our family systems in the church, are precisely tuned to produce the results that we're getting. Would you be happy with 10 times the size of your current church with the same issues that your current church has? Do you feel like if your church grew 10 times as large, that all of a sudden those problems are going to go away? And more than that, let me ask you this. If your church was completely successful at whatever their mission is right now, would it fulfill the Great Commission? These are tough questions, but they're healthy questions for leaders to ponder and for us to ask ourselves. Let me ask this question. I, I was... Uh, on a phone call recently where someone asked this question and I thought it was an intriguing question. What's keeping the church in the West? We'll just deal with right now the US. What's keeping the church in the West from fulfilling the Great Commission? Why aren't we seeing more and more? Everything that we see with all of the churches that we have, with all of the resources that churches in the U.S. have, what we keep hearing and seeing statistically is that the church is shrinking. Churches are decreasing in attendance. 
Churches are closing at an alarming rate. Pastors are leaving the ministry at an alarming rate. So let me ask you a question. Why is the New Testament proclamation, the, the commandment of our King to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that he's commanded us. After all of our resources and all of our time, why are we losing ground rather than gaining ground? Why have we not fulfilled the Great Commission? What's keeping us? What's holding us back? I don't know what your answer is to that. And it's a hard question. I think there are probably several possibilities, right? Um, one is that that we don't focus a lot on that. We, we kind of have it in the back of our heads that this is what we're all about. But many of us in the church today really don't feel like it's appropriate for us to be helping people to become followers of Jesus. We, we think, well, uh, there's kind of this cultural pluralism that's uh, uh, grown up where we, we struggle to believe that we should have people who maybe don't have any faith or have another faith, Muslims, Buddhists, uh, whatever they might be, that they would somehow, that we would actually help them come to become followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, that that feels well, not right. L let me say it more bluntly. I'm thinking that many people in the church today, maybe you are in this category, I don't know, don't even believe there are such a thing, is such a thing as lost people. That there are, there are people that are far from God, but in the end, all people go to heaven. I mean, have we really wrestled with the idea that God's word, at least for 2,000 years, had been read to say that people who were far from God, people who rejected or who had never had the chance perhaps even to hear the gospel and respond to God's grace, were without a savior and were destined toward a eternity that was going to leave them separated from God. Without grace and hope, and light, and peace. Now, we don't believe that much in our culture today, do we? We don't see a desperation there. We're more desperate about the climate than we are about eternity for those who we know and love. So you see, it's maybe several reasons. Maybe there are a lot of reasons why we in the West are not in any way accomplishing the, the Great Commission, even with our families. Many, uh, I've talked to many parents who would say things like, well, I'm going to expose my kids to the church, but, but, you know, we want them to make a choice for themselves. As if this is sort of a career move. You know, I don't want to force them to become a football player. I, I want them to make, I don't want them to, you know, just because I'm a doctor, I don't want them to be a doctor. That's the approach that many of us in the West have taken. It's funny, here we are. Uh, surviving through COVID, this pandemic, and and we are um, we, we are back into a surge of the pandemic, right? We've got this new variant, and what we've been hearing through this pandemic, the whole time the pandemic is going on, is it's that we have to take practices in our life, not just to protect ourselves from being sick, 
but we have to make sure that we're protecting others. Isn't that interesting? I'm being asked, you're being asked to change our lifestyle, to take on responsibility and burden for those who are around us. And yet somehow in the midst of our culture in terms of spiritual matters, I'm supposed to live and let live, even though the scripture seems to indicate that there will be a godless eternity waiting for many. What do we do about this? How have we become confused about this? Politicians are telling us that the world is going to end in 12 years, that we'll get to a place where it's, it, it's not, we're not able to turn things back because climate and the, the uh, man-made effects on climate, the human impact on climate is reaching a level where we will not be able to turn back the catastrophic consequences. And we have government policies engaged around making sure that uh, everyone's life is going to be affected in order to save the planet. But to save the planet for what? Now, if you and I, if you're listening to this and you're a follower of Jesus, if you would say that you believe God's word, if you would call yourself a Christian and mean by that that you believe the, the words of Jesus and believe that Jesus is the savior of the world, however you would define that, what do we do with the difficulty in our thinking as we take our thinking to its logical conclusion? And what are we going to do about the fact that maybe earlier, as we were talking a few minutes ago, that, that you know, if our churches became a thousand times more effective than they are now, would it produce the kingdom of God? And would we see the culture embrace joy and love and peace in a way like we never have before. You see, I think what slipped in on us in ways that we haven't really been able to, dis to distinguish in our thinking is that we're, we've got a man-made utopian ideal that's being, if we could all just get along, isn't that what we're working for? If we could all just get along as if somehow in the power and strength and wisdom of each other, of humanity, that we can choose in our own strength to get along. But there's nothing in all of history, nothing, not one chapter of history indicates that humanity has the power to save ourselves from violence, from, from all the evils that we all wrestle with, right? The seven deadly sins, greed, envy, pride. I mean, there, there's, no, there's no period in history where we see, we see awakenings where spiritual awakenings have happened and a diminishing, a, a, a really releasing of some goodness into the culture has happened. But, but aside from those spiritual awakenings, there's not a place in history. In fact, there's no even way to look at history and say, we are heading towards a more utopian future. The previous century, the 20th century, was the most violent, bloody, deadly century in all of humanity that's been recorded. We're not heading in a peaceful direction. Do you look at our culture and do you feel like we're heading in a peaceful direction? So we've got a lot of tough questions that we've got to wrestle through. The scripture seems to paint a picture of truth that goes like this, that God, God created the world, that we have rebelled against God, 
And in our rebellion, we want to be God. We think we can fix ourselves and live our lives better outside of obedience to God, outside of surrender to God and reliance and dependence upon God than we can with God. In fact, many of us feel like God is is sort of, um, well, or churches, maybe we wouldn't say God, but churches, you know, they're, they're, they're sort of just selfish institutions trying to get more people to their way of thinking. And so we've lost a, a little bit of grounding as to why we would go. When I talk about uh, disciple making with some people in the church, and I don't mean just one church, I mean people in the church in general, o- other churches. One of the first things when you talk about sharing and being spiritually obvious so that you can have spiritual conversations is one of the, the first reactions is, well, you don't want me to go stand on the street corner and witness, do you? And yet if I march down the street today talking about climate and the crisis of the climate, what would happen to me? People might disagree with me, but they might also applaud me for my passion. Let me ask you this. If your life was multiplied a million times over, would the world be the kind of place that God has said that he wants it to be? I mean, all of us could say, you know, I guess your answer to that would be, well, it might be better because I'm not as bad as everybody out there. That's true. We're not, right? I mean, you're not. Every single one of us could find someone that's making more mistakes, that's got a bit of a more mean streak, whose anger is worse. I get that. But the truth is, I don't know that I would want a million Kevin Bakers. Wow. Because I need a savior. I make so many mistakes on a daily basis. I I am so confused. I can be so selfish. I can lose my temper. I struggle at some point with all of the seven deadly sins, right? On a regular basis, not just occasionally. I I have to continually, in fact, in my prayer life this morning, this is what I was praying. I was saying, God, I need your love, your grace, and your power today. Think about that. I need his love. I need to remember that I'm loved, even though sometimes I feel so and act so unlovable. I need his grace. Because I'm not a perfect person, I need the grace of God. I need, what I need is I need forgiveness. I need his unmerited favor. I need God to do for me. I need his grace to be into my weakness. Because where I'm weak, God can be strong by his grace. His grace is sufficient for me. And I need his power because in my own strength, I keep falling into the same pits and the same habits and the same hangups. But by God's power, I am not the same man today that I was 10 years ago. And with his power and grace and love, hopefully I won't be the same man 10 years from now that I am today. So isn't it true that Jesus, when he said, go into all the world and make disciples, what he was saying is, The best thing for this world, the best hope for this world is that I would be its king, its visible king, its, its reality king in the lives of people. And that if Jesus is king, 
that's where peace and love and harmony are going to begin to, because I'm living out of not my strength with all of my feelings. I'm living out of his strength with his grace and his love. And that God is able to transform my life into something more than I could ever do on my own. And what if our church's model, what if the model of our churches, I know this is all a philosophical conversation. I really am just stirring up some thinking, I hope, within you that you and I can begin because until we're convinced, and here's the critical piece, until we're convinced that we can't keep doing what we've been doing and expecting different results, we'll continue with the insanity that we're a part of right now. And if, and if my church, and we get into this place because we're struggling for our churches to grow, so many of us just want, if we could just get 10% growth, we would feel so good. But what if we got a millionth time growth? Would it be what we want it to be? Sure, good things would happen. But would it heal? Would it heal what ails people? Would it really heal? the diseases, the illness, the relational brokenness, the dysfunction in families, would it really heal that? Because don't we still have in our churches all of those things? The church is the hope of the world, but it's not the institutional church. It's the church on its knees. It's the people of God living in the power of God by the grace of God and in the love of God. Guerrilla discipleship is aimed at helping us to think and rethink these things and to begin to see God at work in new ways. We cannot continue to do what we've always done and expect to see different results. Today, I think we are living in an era, we are living in a moment where the God of the universe is waking us up through this pandemic, through the political divisiveness, through the just the reality of what's going on in our culture. We're, we're, we're just degrading and dividing and destroying ourselves as a culture. And I believe the Lord God is waking us up, calling us to a place of repentance. And part of that repentance is going to be, God, we've not been following you. We've not been the spirit-filled committed followers of you. We've not been obedient. God, we've, we've grown, but we've not been obedient. I know this is a hard message today. And maybe you would say, boy, this was depressing, but let's think about this because here's the thing. We are not the victors, but he is. We cannot achieve the victory, but he will. So let's cooperate with him. Let's surrender to him. Let's ask ourselves the tough questions in our church meetings and around the table. Let's begin to allow God to give us new thoughts. And actually, I think we're going to find that they're not new thoughts. They're just the thoughts that he gave us. The answers, perhaps, let me say it this way. The answers that he gave us in the scripture in the first place. Maybe what we really need to do is to return back to a fresh reading of God's word, a fresh reading of the gospels in the book of Acts and ask ourselves the hard question, are we living this truth out? Do I really believe this? 
And does my life result, does my life show and kind of model that I'm living according to these principles? God wants to bless us. That's why he's invited us into this. He doesn't want to harm us. He wants to save us. He wants to rescue us. Jesus said, I didn't come to, to, to do anything other than give you life abundantly. It's the other one. It's that enemy, that adversary that wants to seek to, and does seek to kill, destroy, deceive. So I'm just going to ask you to spend some time this week in prayer, just asking God to speak into your heart. I don't know what he's going to say to you, but asking these hard questions, unsettling questions, and bringing them before the throne of God's mercy and grace may just awaken things, may just awaken us to some things that God's been inviting us to see. Thank you so much for being a part of Guerrilla Discipleship. Look forward to seeing you again next week. God bless you.